And welcome, everybody. I'm Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. Joining me on this Tearsheet Live is Simon Koloff, CEO of Marketa. Welcome again, Simon. Thank you, Zach. Great to be here. And we're going to dive into the credit space. We're going to discuss why there's been so little innovation in credit cards for decades and what's on the forefront of innovation in credit technology. Simon's going to talk about what this means for brands, hoping to reimagine how they foster customer loyalty. And for consumers who are increasingly savvy about using credit to further their financial goals. Simon will also discuss how embedded finance will fuel the growth of credit for brands seeking a new homepage of their digital experience. So I'm excited to talk to you again, Simon. Excited to be here. Mm -hmm. so, so let's set that stage. Let's go right into it. Like, why do you think there has been so little innovation in credit cards over the past de few decades? Yeah, uh, Zach, it, it is actually fascinating. If you actually look at the stats, uh, a payment card in general or a credit card in particular is by far the most adopted technical product. It has more distribution, I'd say, than clean water, than wheat. Than I call it like the perfect financial product. It is. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it is, right. Yeah. And it has more distribution than Google and Facebook combined. But yet you look at it for the vast majority of people is still a piece of plastic. Mm -hmm. So, but when you think of the payment card or the credit card itself as a digital product, and you start thinking that it is the gateway, it is the doorstep to your digital experience, everything changes. And I look at it and I think of the, the last 20 years and uh, maybe 30 years, and we think what happened to news. News uh, used to be a day late. <laughs> you wait for the newspaper to come and that's a 24 hour latency from when the news happens. And now news moves in microseconds or milliseconds on social network platforms. And you look at the financial experience, it is still like the news was in 1994. So the idea that a credit card is going to be the home page of the internet, it's going to be the front page of the mobile experience, will start let you think about massive innovation, which is around personalization, about instant rewards, about dynamic rewards. The card for a brand or a bank or any institution becomes their homepage. No one types www.homepage.com anymore. They discover things right, that are marketed to them in their social network feed, or they discover something in Google search, or it's the app they have uh, uh, on, the, on the phone, and that's the homepage. But if people start thinking that a payment experience, which is tapping or swiping or doing whatever you want on a digital way, that's how you start introducing other services to brand, that's when innovation is going to start becoming huge. So to answer your question, like you're right, like since the diner's cart and rewards have been introduced, it's just been a distribution game versus an innovation game. And I think the next decade is going to change that massively. So that's interesting. So so there's there's breaking down the card itself and how users actually think about it and interact with it. But then there's also the technology behind it. That's so right. can we double click on that piece and, and what has happened um, 
how technology, particularly fintech, has influenced the evolution of credit technology? Of course, yeah. I mean, there's many examples we can give about the concept of just-in-time funding or just-in-time lending. Uh, there's no question at this stage whether buy now, pay later is here to stay. It is actually what is creating a great holiday season uh, for a lot of U.S. retailers. Now, what is buy now, pay later? Like at the core of buy, buy now, pay later is dynamic, instantaneous underwriting. It is transaction level underwriting versus human level underwriting. That has been enabled by technology. And we at Marketa, we made buy now, pay later plug into the existing ecosystem. So it plugs into the, the traditional payment ecosystem, settlement through the networks, merchants get settled. So it was not everybody has to change everything in order to, to, to adopt it. So the, I would say buy now, pay later is one of the first innovations in credit that technology has enabled, which is number one, the ability to intercept the buying behavior. So you are injecting yourself between shopping and payment, which is number one. And number two, the ability for AI to quickly underwrite uh, a consumer and a transaction at a point in time, at a point of sale, uh, uh, so on and so forth. Now take that and apply it to uh, the credit space as an revolver, which is a credit card, which is actually underwriting a human, and you 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 see where this could lead. So I think that's that's one. The second thing is, uh, cards have changed long-term consumer behavior because it allowed you to buy ahead of your paycheck. Now that has sent many nations into debt, but it has increased the GDP. So as a percentage of, of GDP, that is fine. But if we actually think about it, uh, uh, cards have not yet optimized the purchase funnel. If somebody wants to buy something, they put it in the card and then they buy it. But if you think of what rewards have done, Rewards have, have allowed the brands in the banks to fight for top of wallet, but they have not impacted the shopping flow. Why? Because it's universal rewards. You get 2% on everything. But if you start using technology, which is our platform does that, to do dynamic rewards or just-in-time rewards. So let's say in aggregate, it has to be 2%. But today on that item, it is 15% cash back. It's like a discount. So, and you start manipulating rewards up and down, right? You've got a budget that you got to spend on that person, right? And you allow brands to do it, you allow everybody to do it. Then you have a card that is a game changer in the shopping experience, in the payment experience, in merchandising experience. So that I think is, is something uh, enabled by technology. So. To summarize, I'd say just-in-time underwriting, uh, which dramatically reduces risks, and dynamic rewards would be would be a, a, a second thing that is, I'd say, game-changing. I'd say there's 
another thing, which is not as instantaneous, but uh, brands always love to communicate with customers. And if you look at it, uh, the payment feed, which according to regulators, it's a statement. That's a piece of paper that can mail to the house or you get it in a PDF. Okay, let's talk about the digital brand. When was the last time we received a statement from Instagram or Instacart or Airbnb or Google? Your last 30 day of searches is this. You don't. Not coming in a PDF. Exactly. Right. So think of statementing as a phenomenal opportunity to be a live feed in which with every payment you have, you can insert merchandising opportunity. You can insert thank you messages around loyalty. You can, you can insert further discovery. So what was, if you want, two lines underneath the Google search bar, which it's Google advertising. That has become $500 billion search advertising, right? Every payment experience can be a discovery experience uh, and can be a merchandising experience because you know what? It's a moment of joy. Like shopping is a very fun, uh, eternal game. So uh, coming back to it and summarizing, it's it's underwriting uh, that is in just in time. It's d- dynamic rewards that can alter consumer behavior to the better. And then last but not least, every communication or every payment event becomes an opportunity to merchandise, to inform, and to delight. I have to say... Um... In addition to the content uh, that you're delivering, your energy and your excitement about this, I've done hundreds and hundreds of these types of interviews. You are in a rarefied era, Simon. I love talking to you. I could, it's it's infectious. Um, let's double click on the customer loyalty piece. So it sounds like you're describing about a technology. The old technology underwrote a person, as you said, and you got a revolver. So my so even though it 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 underwrote me individually, I had a one size fits all experience, right? That's right. And what you're talking about now is technology can can give a personalized experience to each person at the transaction level. So, so can we talk a little bit more about um, how brands can use that to build and foster customer loyalty? Absolutely. Uh, well, one thing, Zach, we we at Marketa, I'd say we we listen to customers and to consumers, uh, and uh, we've done uh, we've done a survey and. Uh, 74% of U.S. and U.K. consumers uh, believe there's a lot more room for personalization. <laughs> uh, that is an extremely interesting stat. And I mean that in the, in the sense of a, of, a, of a credit card. And then another interesting uh, stat is mid-60s, like 64% of customers or consumers who have a co-brand believe they are the customer of the brand and not the bank. Hmm. So uh, so brands cannot ignore these stats anymore. So the, the card doesn't become a payment vehicle. It becomes a loyalty vehicle. So what can brands do? Let me take it down to, I mean, to the platform, to analytics and engagement. Let's talk numbers. And I do have a lot of B2C experience. Uh, I used to work at Yahoo and uh, managing the Yahoo homepage was on my team. And we had a billion users coming on a daily basis, a billion. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, right? And anything you move 
right? You, you change things can impact revenue a lot. But at the end of the day, you look at analytics. And the analytics said that on average, consumers come to a phenomenal property, right? They come on average, let's say two and a half times a day, and each visit is seven minutes, roughly. I'm just giving you some stats. Phenomenal. Now, if I could have increased those visits from 2.2 to 3.2, you're adding billions upon tens of billions of dollars for digital brands. So let's take a step back. Great. So uh, the average visit is 2.2 times a day. Phenomenal. How many times does a consumer in a digital world, a Gen Z, a young kid, pulls up Apple Pay and pays something? Three times, four times, seven? I mean, there, you've got data that shows all the way to seven, which is Gen Z. And then sometimes the, the average more affluent, right? But it's like depending on the transactions, two to three times a day. Phenomenal. So if let's say a brand issues a digital credit card, and then enables push notifications from their app. And whenever you're going out and paying, whether you're swiping or doing something, there's a push that comes from the app, says, thank you for this purchase. And then you click on it and you land in the app and you have the carousel that shows you the information you want to promote. What have I done? Let's say, let's say I send three pushes. I click on one. That's a visit. So I've increased digital engagement by 33%. That is billions of dollars in advertising. There's tens of billions of dollars in merchandising opportunities and probably a huge addition to, uh, uh, to our GDP. Because if you look at the digital brands that Gen Z uses, it is Amazon, it's Airbnb, it's Uber, it's DoorDash, it is, uh, it is Walmart, it's, it's, it's many other uh, brands that are fighting for the attention of the consumers on an iPhone or an Android. And that's a phenomenal opportunity for them to gain that loyalty back. I got it. And so so in this world that you're describing where we untether credit from the plastic, um, how, how do you see consumers leveraging credit to help them achieve financial goals? Maybe put this in the financial wellness category. Sure, absolutely. I mean, the same way uh, rewards can be used to incentivize a purchase, they can also be used to train consumers for better financial management. Give you an example. It's very simple. Uh, the you can personalize a card. Let's say you want to declare a certain goal. Then shopping is a temptation. Mm -hmm. But discounts and deals is the bigger temptation. So rewards. Let's say that it's something you need to buy. You can say, look, if you're spending on a discretionary item, no rewards. You're, spe you're spending on a non-discretionary item, you encourage rewards. So hmm. you can alter consumer behavior towards a financial goal. I hate to use the word gamification, but it is ultimately, I mean, people say shopping and payments is the ultimate game, uh, but it has been proven that you can guide consumers uh, into the right behavior. I mean, AI can do that, right? 
if you're trying to optimize for a certain goal, uh, machines can do this much better than humans, right? If you have very little time to do it. Uh, eventually, humans can beat machines. But when you're looking at sub-millisecond or millisecond or seconds decision-making, machines can alter the rewards and hence change consumer behavior. So, Simon, in, in the beginning of the conversation, you talked about embedded finance. That's And I and, and used the example of BNPL, buy now, pay later. To me, it's, it's one of the earliest examples, but it's also one of the best examples, right? It's putting, a, you know, an installment loan in the checkout experience, right? But maybe we can zoom out a little bit on on what you view uh, the, some of the opportunities are with embedded finance and how that can drive growth for brands in the space Absolutely. or looking to get into the space. I should say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would say that uh, the it, let's start by defining what embedded finance uh, is because Zach, you have a great point that BNPL is a living example of what how how embedded finance can go perfectly right. So uh, usually. Uh, like there was a flow uh, or a brand experience that is separated from a banking and financial experience. There was a segment called banking, but you're waking up to a generation that has never been inside a bank. Mm -hmm. They've never, I mean, I would say in the next decade, this generation has never touched cash as a banknote, and most likely in 10 years, they're not gonna touch a piece of plastic. So the only engagement they're gonna have with financial services is through an iPhone application or a widget or an Android. Excellent. So what do people do today? They go to the brands they love. They're addicted. It's called addiction to, to Instagram, to, to, shop, uh, to Spotify, to whatever, you name it. So why don't we think that these brands are significantly better positioned to offer the financial services to their consumers? They are. <laughs> so, because they've got the engagement and it's extension of what they offer. Now, that doesn't mean the banks are going to go away. We're taking the front end, the user experience, the, that, that engagement hook, and we're telling the banks, you know what? You're not good at it. You're very good at treasury. You're very good at investment. I'm sorry. You're not good at consumer experience. I bet you there isn't a single bank ever in the world that has a dashboard in front of them that is looking at daily active users. Uh, they're looking at average dwell time per active user. They're looking at journey builders. That's what digital CEOs do. The banks are not thinking about that. I bet you what is in front of them, it's what's my capital, what's the return on capital, and then uh, the, the, the ROI on any investment I make. So by taking the front end and embedding it inside the brands people love through a co-brand, then that's what embedded finance can articulate. So that's one example. The uh, injecting lending, which is point of sale lending. I mean, BNPL is just one example right. of that. That's another example. The second one is injecting financial services in the employ employer to employee payment. We live in a world, again, I'm back to 
let's look at the last 20 years. <laughs> News used to be 24-hour delay. Now it's instantaneous. Music. I mean, I, I, I'm old enough to remember 33 <laughs> records and then CDs and then singles. Now music is streamed instantaneously. Let's talk about this. But payroll is delayed by 15 days. Doesn't make sense. Why yeah, not instantaneous? Right. Yeah. I mean, it is. it doesn't make sense, right? And technology can enable instant payroll through embedded finance. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, every company can become the neo-credit union of all their employees. In the United States, you've got 83 million shift and gig workers. They're not just underbanked. Some of them are unbanked because they cannot provide proof of full-time employment. Yet, yet, that is, that is 13% of the U.S. GDP. So if those folks were a nation, they will, their GDP will be somewhere between India and Germany. That's a great way to put it. And they're underbanked. So imagine that embedded finance can unlock the potential and offer banking services. No one knows your propensity to get a gig job or, or to get a shift job better than the labor marketplace, better than the employer. So they can easily underwrite you. That's what credit unions were created for. So that's another area of embedded finance. Now let's talk about non-consumer experiences. We, if you look at B2B, we still live in a world that people get paper invoices. They get a scissor, they open it, they look at an invoice, or they get it by email. And then they sit on it for 30 days. You got to put it in the inbox. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, excellent. So, 30 days later, you said, okay, I pay it. Now, that was fine when working capital was free. The last 15 years, working capital was at zero interest rate. Now working capital is 12% interest rate. Excellent. So there is a lot of losses from, from this delay. Why not instantain, instant settlement? Then you save every company 12% on working capital. Going back to the consumer, which is another embedded finance. It, uh, you look at the... 67% of the U.S. population lives paycheck to paycheck. Those are the folks that maxed out on credit cards. What's the APR? 22%. What is inflation? 6%. So add those two, it's 28%. So out of every dollar they make, they lose 28%. Wow. So if they get paid immediately, I wipe out 22% of waste. That creates value to the, to the economy. So, so embedded finance, the beauty about embedded finance is that it can be applied everywhere money flows from an employee to a consumer, from a consumer to a consumer, from a consumer to a retailer, from a, from a retailer to, a, to its suppliers, uh, and from a, uh, from a retailer to the employees. So uh, then you have also like the, the I, I'd say maybe less sizzling, but very cumbersome expense management uh, that 
companies have got to, to do. And a lot of the Marketa customers like, like Ramp, like Jeeves, and like many others, right, uh, uh, Expensify, and they're innovating to make expense management, honestly, a non-event uh, and saving companies a lot of money. Well, that's embedded finance too. So the beauty is that there's so many use cases that are diverse, but also global. Yeah, and it's especially I, I like that you um, separated B two C versus B two B. It feels like the B two B applications are like we're just beginning to scratch the surface there, That's right. um, and and very deep and powerful, impactful um, technology can 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 take out a lot of money in in the system. Um, obviously, navigating through the financial services industry is is complicated. Regulation is changing. Um, how are you seeing like top brands? you know, move into the space and what do they need to know? How, how, how should they approach this? Yeah, it, it is a very good question. Uh, I'd say a lot of brands over uh, the last years attempted to enter financial services, mm -hmm. but, and I'll give you an, an example, uh, but they've shied away because it's an industry that they don't understand and is highly regulated. And no one at that time obfuscated the, that industry uh, enough so that brands can comfortably go to it without having to incur a lot of costs from a regulatory perspective, program management, uh, looking at reg, reg, reg uh, Z in credit, reg E in debit, list goes on and on and on. Let me give you an example. In the early 90s, I was actually working for a company that sold networking gear, right, or, or, or networking services. This is pre-internet. Well, I mean, there was CompuServe and AOL, but not. So, and uh, we were selling to Ameritech, uh, which was, I think, it eventually became AT&T. It was one of the telco companies. And I was at the town hall. I was visiting my customers. And uh, the, the CEO of the company announced the card. Uh, which now became the AT&T card. So, and one of the employees asked them, hey, what do we know about financial services? And the CEO said, look, uh, there are two currencies that uh, banks uh, have. The first one is a loyalty and the second one is the US dollar. And guess what? We as a telco have consumer loyalty. Once they get a phone from us, they're a customer forever. And that's why it positions us that to be the best financial services organization because no one is going to default because they cannot afford to lose their phone. That was what uh, this was 25 years ago. Pretty so, passionate. but if you look at it, and, and, and uh, there's many companies try to do that, but I think the regulatory burdens were very high. But now, if you look at the platforms, and Marquette is one of them, we're not the only one, but we're, 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 we're a good one, uh, we obfuscate the regulatory compliance from the brand so they can safely go into the space without having worry, to worry about program management, without having to, to worry about, about regulatory issues. So that's one. And two, you look at Silicon Valley, you look at digital brands, we love to code once, and deploy everywhere. I mean, this is our mentality. Like thinking global and acting local is not something Silicon Valley is wired well to do. <laughs> so 
The beauty about working with a platform is you can build a single financial product that will work in the United States. It will work in Brazil. It will work in Ecuador, right? And, and, and we at Marketa, we're working with brands and we're, they're telling us, I'm launching in Japan. I'm launching in Ecuador and Peru and Argentina. Like, I need you to be there. So Marketa is kind of like we're listening to our customers and we get ahead of them and we start working with the local financial regulators, local banks, so that anybody who's building on Marketa, right, can be assured that your product will work wherever bits flow, not where just uh, the, the regulated or countries you're familiar with their financial system. And um, that... I guess that leads me to our last question. We're getting near the end of our conversation. And, um, we, you know, I, I think internationalization or, or multinational brands looking to work with single or a, just a handful to consolidate the number of providers they're working with internationally. I would assume that's one of the trends you're seeing going into 2024, but I do not want to put words in your mouth. Um, you know, we're, we're at the cusp of 2024. What do you see as some of the big trends impacting the industry in this upcoming year? What do you, what are you focused on as CEO? What, what is Marketo focused on as a company? What are your clients? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say uh, there are uh, uh, two things that we're focused on. Uh, the number one is credit. And we don't see credit as just one size fit none. It's actually going to be the many sizes that will fit everybody. So whether it is uh, powering new innovative point of sale lending like the NPL all the way to a revolver with, with great underwriting, AI-driven underwriting, and dynamic rewards. The ability to turn uh, a plastic card or I'd say an archaic concept into a digital product is one. The second one is program management layer across the globe. So, and you're absolutely right, Zach, that every successful digital brand, every that has built a financial services product, right? The US is too small of a country, <laughs> uh, uh, believe it or not, for their ambition. They want the billions. Digital brands want billions of users. They want hundreds of millions and billions of users. And unless we increase the birth rate in the United States, we're not going to get there. So everybody, every domestic company in the US has global ambitions. And you have a lot of great innovation in Brazil, a lot of great innovation in the EU that also want to go to the U.S. market and to the emerging market, to, Middle East, to the Middle East, to Turkey. Uh, uh, to Those have hundreds of millions of users, right? And, and there is billions of people who are underbanked. And I think the, the global nature is what is going to be focused in 2024. So two things. Uh, making the future of credit happen in 24 and making the global nature of embedded finance and fintech a reality. Simon, it always feels like time goes too quickly when we speak. I really appreciate you joining us here on Intersheet Live. Um, thank you and, and good luck in 2024. Thank you so much. Great seeing you and happy new year. Back at you. Take care.